good. Good. Okay. So Paul is a uh, Paul is writing a letter uh, to the Galatians. This is not a uh, single church in that it's not a church of a city. Galatia is a is a territory. Um, a regional grouping of churches filled with both Gentile and Jewish believers. Uh, it was Paul that had established that church in the region as he was uh, traveling on his first missionary journey with Barnabas. Um, Paul preached the gospel there, the gospel that was given to him by God. Um, and uh, then he had left to spread the gospel to other regions but in his absence, we found that false teachers had entered the church in Galatia and other regions spreading false doctrine that believers uh, must be circumcised to gain full salvation and things of the like. As in, they were adding to uh, our gospel of salvation, uh, Jewish customs and Jewish laws. Um, Paul had become aware of this, probably more than likely through the leaders that he had pointed uh, over the churches in Galatia. Um, reporting back to him, his delegates. And so to combat this false teaching, Paul decides to write this letter, which we'll be reading again today, uh, to the churches. Paul begins his letter establishing, or in a sense reestablishing, the authority of the gospel. Um, Fletch worked us through this uh, over the past few weeks. Um, this gospel that was given to Paul was given directly by God himself through divine revelation. Um, Paul emphasizes that to the uh, church in Galatia for the, ver the very first time that he visits them, and then now again in his letter in the first chapter. And so uh, we continue that uh, dialogue now today where he goes from establishing that this, this gospel is directly from God to its authority and what it produces in the believer. So, uh, in, his, uh, in his writings to the Galatians, uh, Paul accounts his life story, how he, come, how he came to uh, receive the gospel. Remember that Paul, who he was um, before God met him on uh, the road to Damascus, remember that he was an enemy of the church. Um, he had approved the uh, murder of Stephen, um, one of the early uh, disciples. And uh, even amongst all of Paul's sin, even amongst his uh, zeal zealousness for the law, uh, God saved him. God met him. The Lord met him on the Damascus road on his way to destroy the church in Damascus. Um, remember the words that, that God spoke to him on that road, calling him from his ways to follow the Lord. Um, remember also in, in Paul's story Immediately from that time, he goes and uh, into the house and is led into the house of a, a man named Ananias uh, in Damascus. Ananias uh, was sent by God to lay hands on Paul and uh, that he would receive the Holy Spirit and that he would receive commissioning by God um, to be an instrument of the gospel to the church and to Gentiles, kings, and Jews alike. After the three days that he spent there blind, uh, not seeing, um, as the Lord was 
bringing about this great revelation that was in him, inside of him. Uh, he then turned uh, and, and took a three-year um, trip into Arabia, probably again to continue that revelation. And then he comes back to Damascus for a time. It says either many days or up to three years. He preached and argued boldly there in the synagogues and amongst uh, the Jews, enough to make his own devoted disciples, but also to receive a death warrant from the local Jewish leaders and the governor of that city. After that time, Paul escaped to Jerusalem where he attempted to join the apostles. It was an attempt. It didn't actually happen. He really just met with Peter for a time of 15 days. Um, Barnabas at that time, who had been working with him uh, in his ministry, vouched for him to the apostles of the dis- and the disciples. But Paul's boldness was stirring so much trouble up in Jerusalem that the Hellenist Jews also sought to kill him. And so the disciples and the apostles thought it best to send Paul to Caesarea and then off to Tarsus. Interestingly enough, in Paul's life, being sent to Caesarea, um, Philip is said to have been there. Uh, The brother Philip, um, this Philip had... uh, As one, was one of the many disciples chosen after Stephen, uh, one of the seven men nominated by the disciples as being of good report. Philip was filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom to serve in various people's groups in the church. He was one of many that were driven out by Saul during his persecutions. In that time, uh, the Lord brought uh, Philip into contact with uh, a Ethiopian eunuch, Uh, and had led him to salvation, uh, and had baptized him in the Holy Spirit. It's at that time that Philip was was lifted and transported instantaneously to a city that was 30 miles away. And uh, from there, Philip traveled all the way up the coast of the Mediterranean to Caesarea. And this is where Paul is sent by the apostles and the disciples before he goes uh, back to his hometown of Tarsus. So it's really interesting that Paul gains his salvation, gains his sight, gains his commissioning by the Lord, directly from the Lord, gains the gospel, the one true gospel from God himself, and then is, uh, is potentially met up with this brother, the one that he had uh, sought to persecute before heading to Tarsus. So that was a quick parenthesis. So now Paul is heading to Tarsus. This is in the Uh, the region of Cilicia. Uh, And we see um, in our first verse as we get into our passage today that Paul has been here in uh, the regions of Cilicia and Syria for 14 years. So the apostles held him at arm's distance, at arm's length, and forced him to go uh, and and be away from them for for a period of 14 years. And that's where we pick up today. So again, uh, Paul is writing this to the Galatians. He said this, I have received this gospel directly from God. And not only that, uh, I didn't have any contact with the apostles, but instead I went and spread this gospel that was given to me by God for 14 years before we pick up today. So some of the main points um, that God would have for us today, there is but one gospel preserved by God himself. The second point, the gospel is tested at times, but the true gospel will have its effect. God will have his effect through the gospel. 
and God, by his great grace, entrusts his children with the one true gospel for his purpose. And we'll see how God trusted, entrusted his gospel to the disciples, to Paul, to the Galatians, and even to today with us. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the power of salvation that you have packed into it, Lord. Thank you for your gospel that you have given, that you have entrusted to us. May we see it today. May we know it. Would you reveal it to us as you have in the past, but would you renew it, Lord, in us? For you have entrusted it to us that other people may know you through it. We thank you for this time, God. Please lead us in it. In your name I pray. Amen. Okay, let's turn to our passage. Galatians chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 10. Verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, so that they might bring us into slavery— to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no impartiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So as you see in this passage this morning, uh, Paul receives a revelation from God after four, these 14 years that he's been in these two regions preaching the gospel. He receives a revelation directly from God that uh, he was to go back to Jerusalem and to have this gospel set before the apostles and the disciples for some reason. And so in following that uh, revelation from God, see that his reliance is on God. He was not called back to Jerusalem by the apostles. The apostles didn't say, hey, he's doing something good up there. Let me bring him back to make sure that uh, what he is preaching is actually true. He wasn't called by them. He didn't have a relation to them. In fact, again, he was kept at arm's length. It was by God that he was there. It was by his direct revelation. God foreknew that Paul would need this trip to Jerusalem for his later ministry, and we see that even now in Galatia, in his letter to the Galatians. 
God foreknew that Paul would need this trip to Jerusalem. God had Paul set the gospel before the church leaders in Jerusalem for knowing the great battle that was about to take place. God foreknew the need for clarification that salvation is by grace alone, through faith, and not by works, lest anyone should boast. This challenge to the church of having the gospel and living by it, but then also making sure that you're circumcised to bring it to its full effect. That was the battle that they were facing. God foreknew this, that he would need his gospel preserved in this way, even for us today. So starting in verse 1, we see Paul travels with Barnabas and decides to bring Titus. Who is Barnabas? Barnabas is well known amongst the believers. Uh, In Acts chapter 11, uh, he is described as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. And because of these, he's able to see the grace of God on people. Barnabas saw the grace of God on Paul, and in so doing, God allowed him to defend Paul in front of the apostles 14 years earlier before this account. He sees the grace of God on people. Barnabas is one that is glad or rejoices over the grace of God on people, and he's, he's known for a spiritual gift of exhortation. He is called the son of encouragement much like uh, other brothers were known as uh, the sons of thunder. He is the son of encouragement, encouraging others to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. It was Barnabas that had been working with Paul uh, uh, up to this point and before he traveled into Jerusalem. Um, Barnabas was sent uh, to Antioch uh, once the Gentile believers came to know uh, the Lord, came to know the the word of the Lord, Barnabas was sent to check on them to verify that God had a plan for the Gentiles as well. And so in seeing this grace that was on the Gentiles that were there in Antioch, Barnabas, instead of staying there, instead of laying on hands, instead of um, bringing the Holy Spirit, he thinks to himself, I know a man named Paul. I met him 14 years ago, and I saw the grace that God had, had wrought in his life. I saw the salvation that God had given him, and I know the commissioning on him, I'm going to go and bring him to Antioch. And it was this Barnabas that Paul had been working with. So uh, he was traveling with Barnabas. He was also traveling with Titus. There's a reason for this. Titus is a Gentile. Uh, Barnabas was fully Jewish um, by birth. Um, Titus was different. He was a Gentile. He was a Gentile convert. Paul met somewhere uh, along the way. He became a disciple of Jesus under Paul, but not only just a disciple, he would go on to uh, be one of the elders that was commissioned by Paul to oversee the church at Corinth, similar to how Titus was commissioned over the church of Ephesus. So you can see the Lord's work in the Gentiles, how it's happening. You can see that Titus uh, is not only uh, saved, but that the works and the, and the grace of God is on him and that that is being revealed um, in his life. Paul would later write a, a letter to Titus, and you see a lot of command language in that letter. Titus, do this. Be firm in this. Don't let these things get between you and your God. Don't let these things get between uh, the people of God and their God. Lots of command language there. It's because Titus 
needed it. Titus wanted it. The Spirit of God was working in Titus to hear from Paul. And Paul brought him along, uh, led by the Spirit, uh, as a proof of what the gospel does for the Gentiles. Another note in, uh, about Titus is that he was uncircumcised. God was, right, uh, was bringing these things to life in Titus, even though he had not met the qualifications of the law. Again, by grace alone, through faith alone, not by works. So Titus is a proof. He's bringing a proof to them that God works not only through Barnabas and Paul in the, Jew, in, uh, in the Jews, but also through Gentiles. That God's plan is for all people. So we now know why Paul was pulled back to Jerusalem from his work in the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Uh, we know he's tra- who he's traveling with and what his purpose is there to set the gospel before the brother, the brotherhood. And this is where we can break from the, re- the break the rest of the passage into two separate tracks or paths. Um, this passage is somewhat confusing. The way that Paul writes, he sometimes interweaves. Uh, different storylines together, and it makes it really difficult to follow. So path one, we see that the gospel that Paul brings is immediately tested. It's immediately tested on several fronts, both human and spiritually. It is humanly and spiritually it is tested. We see that in the false brothers that rise up against Titus to have him circumcised. And then there's a second storyline interwoven with this, and that's uh, that the gospel was entrusted to Paul. It was entrusted similar to uh, Paul, to also to the disciples and apostles. And that its carriers, the carriers of the gospel, are united in it. So following down the first track, that is that the gospel, the true gospel is tested by false brothers Paul preached to them the one true gospel he set before them. This has been happening already. Uh, This false teaching has been happening from the beginning of the church. Uh, In his letter, Paul wanted the Galatians to know the very same, that uh, that the, the gospel that he was revealing to them was true. And the same thing in Jerusalem, Paul wanted... uh, Paul wanted to, the Galatians to know that the same thing that was happening, happening there in Galatia was, had happened years before in Paul's life. He was a witness to it. So verses 2, the latter half of verse 2 through verse 6, Paul details that he, Barnabas, and Titus get to Jerusalem. Paul sets the gospel in front of the leaders there. And then he felt the need to have private meetings with those, the most influential of them. Again, testing humanly, testing physically, this was possibly so that they would be exposed. They, that those being the apostles and disciples, would be removed from the false teachers and exposed to the purity of the gospel and not be swayed by the men around them. And then somewhere during the visit, we see that Paul and Titus were challenged by the false brothers over his uncircumcision. This was a, a in physical argument in nature. He is uncircumcised. He should be circumcised. And, and so this was a physical argument. This calls the purity of gospel into much sharper clarity for the brothers. He lays the gospel before them. And then this, as a motif, allows them to see it in much greater focus. But understand that 
the false brothers here are rendered ineffective in their physical attacks. They were not silenced, though. Again, this false teaching would spread even further, and thus the letter to the Galatians years later. Recognize in both storylines, there's also uh, a spiritual testing going on at the same time. So there's a human testing, there's a spiritual testing as well. These false teachers amongst the Galatians, not having been accepted by the apostles and disciples of Christ's church, wanted to gather their own following by preaching a works-based salvation. Conversely, Peter, James, and John were, were seen humanly as pillars of the church. They were described as influential, yet even the best could add nothing, as we read later on. What they were makes no difference to me, says Paul. Paul recognized that, they, that both groups, his group and the, the group there in Jerusalem, had a commission from God. They both had apostolic ministries. And then Paul had already stated in uh, chapter 1, verse 10, he's not seeking the approval of men, but of God, because God shows no partiality between men. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27 says, God chose those regarded as weak, the foolish, the despised, the low, to shame those regarded as strong, wise, powerful, so that Christ would be magnified and glorified, not man. Saul was the church's second worst enemy, but was now chosen as an instrument of God to bring the Lord's name to the Gentiles, the kings, and the Jews. He was going up to these pillars, up to those that were regarded humanly and physically as strong, as the foundation, as the pillars. Going up in weakness, it says, the Bible says that uh, the gospel is, is foolishness to the world. He was going as, as one that was despised. They knew him. They knew his past. They knew he was an enemy of the church. And he was going as the low, as a servant. And we'll find out next week uh, that God was, uh, w- was bringing him there not only to lay the gospel and to, to, to ensure that it, uh, the gospel's purity, but also um, to shame those who would seek to establish another gospel or those that were being twisted towards another gospel. So as I said, coupled with this human testing, there is also spiritual testing. Verse 2 says, so that I was not running or had not run in vain, um, Paul, Paul knows the effect of the gospel. He knew that he had gotten it from God. He had seen its effects. Titus was there, right there with him. This, so that I was not running in vain, is not Paul verifying with the apostles that his gospel was actually true. What Paul was doing here was he was ensuring that over the past 14 years of him preaching the gospel, that he was not over in these other regions building a different church than what was being built in Jerusalem. If this false teaching had entered Jerusalem, that, uh, that circumcision was a, was a uh, requirement, they would be, in, in effect, building a different church than Paul was. And he would be bringing new believers into a wholly different church from that which uh, was in Jerusalem. And so he did not want to run in vain. 
understand today uh, out of this passage, uh, Satan works in three ways primarily. And this passage reveals two of them. He wants a divided church. Satan wanted this, their church to be divided. He wanted Paul's work, Paul's commissioning to be uh, in vain. He wants a divided church. A church divided against itself is much easier to conquer. As we see, they went strongly, these false brothers strongly opposed Paul and Titus. Where's the unity there? A church divided is much easier to conquer. A church divided breeds infighting rather than outreach. And then the church ends up conquering itself without very much effort from the evil one. So Satan wants a divided church. Satan also wants a church united under the wrong banner. If Paul were to have given in to the demand for the requirement of circumcision here, understand that all of his ministry up to that point would have been for naught because he would have had to travel all the way back, going through all the same towns, talking to all the same people and saying, whoa, I'm sorry, this work of grace is not real. It's not real yet. Let's get you circumcised and then it will be real. Satan wants us united under the wrong banner. If salvation were then even partly works-based, Jesus would have died for nothing, the Bible says. And so uh, those are the two ways that are revealed in this passage, that Satan tries to mess with the church. But for us today, Satan wants a church that doesn't even know the gospel. Let me say that again. Satan wants a church that doesn't even know the gospel. Satan knows the power of the gospel. He knows its power to save. Many of us know the gospel's power to save. He also knows our weaknesses as humans. And he places our former sins and temptations and distractions right in front of us to steal this gospel from us, the, the true gospel that was revealed to us. He puts these things in front of us to get us to a point where we would forget the gospel and forget what Christ has done for us. So just as Paul says in this passage, if we are to submit even to this temptation, if we are to submit to this temptation, to these distractions, even in just the slightest, and instead go toward, be lured towards the things of the world, the worries of the world, Satan has in us cheapened the gospel in our very lives, and in the lives of others. So again, Satan wants a divided church. He wants a church united under the wrong banner, an untrue banner. And if he could, he would rather have us forget the gospel. Any of these problems impede the spread of the one true gospel in ourselves, obviously because it's taken from us, removed from us, but also it... it, it impedes us from spreading the gospel outside of these walls. So what is our remedy? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9 say, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. There is but one gospel. There isn't a second. There is but one true banner for us to be united under as a church. 
Paul says in his, letters, in his letter to the Romans that he is not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul does not say circumcision or the law or anything, but the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. Philippians chapter 2 says, Live lives worthy of the gospel. Stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. Satan, these false brothers, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. You have been granted the gospel not to just believe in it, but to participate in Christ's suffering, engaging in the same conflicts as I, Paul, to spread it. This is our remedy, uniting under this one true gospel. So that was the first track. That was the battle against false teachers. That was the battle against Satan as he's entering the city. Um, the second track that we find is uh, excuse me. that the gospel is entrusted and its carriers are united. So why was Paul there? Verses, verse 2 says, I went up because of a revelation and set the gospel before them. He set the gospel before them. How did that work? That was his mission. He was being, uh, he was being fought against. He was being argued against. But what was his mission that he was there for? And was he successful in it? Absolutely. He brought the gospel before them. The true disciples and apostles we see uh, were in complete agreement once, once these arguments were, brought, were done away with, they, they were found in complete agreement with Paul, uh, having spent 14 years away from him. Over the, uh, over the greater purpose, they recognized that Paul was one of them. Verse 6 says, No flaw was revealed in the gospel, though he had not been one of the disciples in Jesus' time. Then in verse 7, Paul was, they recognized that Paul was entrusted by God with his pure gospel to go to the uncircumcised just as Peter was to go to the circumcised. Verse 8 continues and says, God established an apostolic ministry through Paul just as he had through Peter. So the apostles and the disciples were recognizing these things. I would, cause, I would call this a great success for the mission that God had him there for. Verse 9 continues, the grace that was given to Paul, uh, they recognized this grace. They recognized God's grace in the workings of bringing Paul from the second worst enemy besides Satan to the church at that time, bringing him to where he was one of the primary builders and uh, even a, a missionary to the, to the lost. So they recognized all these things. And they also recognized that uh, none of them had come into contact with him. He did not receive the gospel through them. He did not sit underneath them as he did uh, underneath Gamaliel earlier in his life. He did not gain this gospel and this teaching through them. He gained it through direct revelation. 
And so they, so they recognized that he had not ha- come into contact with any of them. And so what was the result of this mission? What was the result of this success? In verse 9, it says that the pillars of the church, the apostles and disciples, welcomed Paul and Barnabas, giving them the right hand of fellowship. So 17 years being held at a distance, now that same hand is welcoming him in fellowship with them. As peers, no less. But for what purpose? For what purpose did they welcome Paul? This is no social club. At least it shouldn't have been. Um, If it was, that church was in dire trouble. Um, Paul was not welcomed into, into a society, a social club, where he was to stay, to be regarded as one of them, where honor and glory were given to him, where he was regarded as a pillar. Um, it says in verse 9, they didn't do it for that reason. They did it immediately so that they should go. They were not to stay. They were to go. Just as a little play on words, um, as, I was, as I was reading this passage and uh, the Lord was revealing things to me, uh, he, he revealed to me, you know, it's, it's go spell, it's gospel, it's not stay spell. And so, uh, understand, we are welcomed in this church as members with the right hand of fellowship. This is no social club, though. We're not welcome to stay in these walls. We're not welcome sh- welcomed just to be family one another. But we, just as Paul, just as the apostles, and just as the disciples, were welcomed into the family of God as children of God through salvation and entrusted with the gospel to welcome others. We were to go and not to stay, just as Paul was to go and not to stay. They had work to do. The Lord had given Paul a revelation. God knew beforehand that Paul would need this testing, this confirmation, this welcoming amongst the other church leaders in his trip to Jerusalem to continue the ministry that was given to him. God foreknew this. This letter to the Galatians is a confirmation of that. So zooming out, soon after this trip to Jerusalem, Paul would soon go to Galatia. He'd travel. He would do his first, a great first missionary journey with Barnabas and other brothers and believers and preach to them this preserved gospel. But we, know that, we now know that he would have to follow up with them to solidify the purity and authority of this preserved gospel as well as the authority of the one that they had received it from in order to defend them and enable them to let go of these false teachings. So this wasn't just to be welcome into the believers, but God had a plan even through this to the Galatians. And we participate in that plan even now because we get to read this very same letter. We're participating in his ministry even today. So before going further, uh, this passage wraps up in verse 10 by saying, they, they encouraged him, after not being able to add anything to the gospel, they encouraged him finally to remember the poor. The word poor here in Greek refers to those that got their daily bread only through begging. This may be a, a reference to some widespread famines that were ha- recorded at that time. Understand that 
uh, as Paul and these missionaries were going to these scattered regions that uh, the, uh, these people who had heard the gospel, who had come to believe, they had to let go of the lifeline of the, of the Jewish um, provision that was being given to them. Uh, the Jews... Um, uh, the, the Jews ousted them. They held them at, at arm's distance. They severed those ties. They severed the supply lines of, of charity. Uh, and so the, the disciples and the apostles were reminding Paul and Barnabas and Titus to remember the poor, to, rem- to remember to reestablish this charity. Um, this is right in line with Jesus's ministry, understanding that Jesus didn't come and, and just preached the good news. But Jesus also, in his so doing, he would heal, he would bring sight, he would make the lame walk, he would bring food to thousands through miracles, he would cast out demons. There was much more to ministry than just this preserved gospel. And they wanted them to recognize it. They recognized that Paul was going to have a serious effect. Um, even to today, 2,000 years later. And they wanted to make sure that uh, that effect was brought into full clarity. So that's all the way through our passage. Um, And now we get to the heart of it. What What is the application for us? The heart of the passage, interestingly enough, is the heart of our message for us today. Verse 5 says, In effect, Paul went through all this so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Understand, Paul recognized at this time that his testing at that moment was so that the gospel might be preserved for you. He was writing to the church of Galatia when he he wrote verse 5, but we are partakers in that letter as well. He is writing directly to us so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for us today. God orchestrated all these events and much more in Paul's life expressly to preserve the gospel. Just in this passage, Paul worked so hard to spread the gospel for 14 years without acknowledgement from other apostles. He traveled many, many miles to Jerusalem just to get the gospel there to this council so that he can write about it to the letter to the Galatians. Paul did this for the gospel. He did much more. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says that he endured 40 lashes less one five different times. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned to the point where they thought he was dead and, and they left him. Three times he was shipwrecked. A night and a day he was adrift at sea. He was on frequent journeys and traveling all over. He endured constant danger from rivers, robbers, his own people, uh, from the Gentiles, in the city, in the wilderness, at sea, from false brothers, in toil and in hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, daily pressure and anxiety for all the churches that he had planted and that God had planted through him. For what? For what? He writes here directly to us so that the gospel may be preserved for you. Paul went through all these things so that the gospel would be preserved for you. Paul's disciples, 
similar did, similarly participated in Christ's suffering and Paul's suffering on through the ages even to today where the where we have been uh, have been given this preserved gospel God knew this in advance This verse was written by Paul This same gospel has been preserved this same good news that despite our sins, despite being destined to death and destruction, that God loved us by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place for our sins. But God didn't stop there. He also raised him from the dead so that all who believe in Jesus are removed from their sins and raised to this new life with him. Amen. God has done so much. Paul did so much so that we can have this and treasure this gospel. Let it not be taken away from you in distraction, in temptation, in worldliness. They've done so much. Our forefathers have done so much that we might believe, that we might have a chance to believe in him and be saved. But God is going even further in our passage today. Many of us, like Paul and countless others, have been saved with this preserved gospel. But we must also recognize that it wasn't just delivered to us, it was entrusted. The gospel was entrusted to us. We were entrusted with it to preach it to our generation. And in so doing, that we would participate in the very same sufferings of our Christ. And that the gospel itself would be preserved for the generations after us. Understand, this is God's mission for us. So our simple challenge for today, spend time reflecting on the gospel. Recall it to your memory. When uh, I'm asked a point-blank question, as I've done for several people over the past week, what is the gospel? You know, what is that gospel to you? Can you relate it? Do you know it? If you don't know it, I wish that you did. You don't know what you're missing. If you do know it, but you've been led astray or uh, it's become clouded, dust it off, reflect on it today and going forward. Has it had an effect on your life? What has it done for you? If Paul's efforts have not would, uh, if Paul's efforts have not been in vain and you are here and have been saved, then what is your gospel? What is the gospel that you carry with you? For what purpose has our God entrusted you with his gospel? What is your purpose? How have you been living to meet that purpose? Now looking outside of ourselves, what is our gospel here at Emmanuel? Do we have a corporate gospel? Do we relate the gospel one to another? Is it that thing that binds us all? What is our gospel here at Emmanuel? Are we united for it? Are there any differences among us? Our challenge, let us strive for unity in the gospel here at this church but let's go out and share it with others and not stay so that they too might know joy in God. Please pray with me.
Lord, these things are mighty. Lord, the power of salvation that you have placed in your gospel, you have revealed it to us in the life of your son, Jesus Christ. You have revealed your plan. And now would you carry it out through us, Lord? This is nothing of us. We can add nothing to this. You require us to repent and to believe in what you have done for us by grace alone, not by works. The gospel. Lord, we recognize that you have entrusted us and now may we go. Would you work in us that we may participate in the sufferings of our Christ and be raised in life with you forever. And we thank you, God, for doing this very great thing apart from us and before us, even while we were yet weak. And God, would you do this through us for others? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.